some dangerous large uh, carnivore out there. Yeah, I saw that bird kick a young deer off the road and fly away. And uh, it was just about getting dark, and we started panicking, running down the bridge, not really having any clue of storing rocks in our vicinity, good-sized rocks. And uh, I stopped long enough to get a 357 out of my backpack and look back, and that's when I thought I saw one. to be 
and doing the same thing. You know, not that the, they don't travel from point A to point B through those areas because, uh, you know, most of those areas are pretty steep, and so it's a quick, quick getaway. Um, but uh, who really knows? You know, I'm uh, looking forward to great question uh, for our guest today. Uh, I know he's been at it, uh, the Sasquatch research for very uh, a long time, and uh, be a good question to pose towards him. Yeah, and that's I always like this time of year with if you can get out in those areas because you think that uh, you know I always refer to looking for the the needle in the haystack with the moving needle. It, it, mm. Anything that that helps shrink the size of the the haystack. So if it's pushing all the the wildlife down in elevation, it, it's just that much less ground to cover. Though it it can be more difficult to you know in the other nice advantage of, of being out in the snow is it's um, the area that we research is not very conducive to leaving good, finding good um, impressions, foot, footprints mm-hmm. and stuff. And, and the snow allows, you know, if you can get up there and, and do some looking around. I've been, uh, the other thing is it, it can be uh, eerily quiet when, when uh, the snow has fallen. And I've been up in our research area when it's, you know, there's been a fresh snow and, uh, walked around. We haven't been fortunate enough to find any evidence of, of our hairy friends being out and about, but it, it's an yeah, interesting yeah, it's, idea. Uh, it is. It, 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 and mm-hmm. With the snow, it reminds me, you know, I love to fish, and I'm always looking for those choke points where the, the fish have to funnel through a certain area, you know, or up rapids mm-hmm. and, and whatnot. So it's the same thing with Sasquatch, uh, you know, possibly. You know, you look for those, those choking areas, those choke points, and when it snows, you know, I mean, and you need your natural resources, and, uh, you know, they're going to be at lower elevations, and you just find that, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, at least I tend to look for some of those choking points, those, those areas where it's real fertile and whatnot, to, um, you know, as as uh, as an idea. Um, I, I don't know anything, but just as an idea, and it seems to, seems to uh, sometimes be productive. So. Well, I was thinking that we have that, the water source that runs through, uh, our area up there where we actually have had a couple of our team members. Uh, well, actually one of our team members had a sighting uh, in that area. We had spot behavior in the nearby. And then, then, uh, you know, Jess was up there mm-hmm. uh, not actually researching and, and uh, right. her, her, her uh, boyfriend, Chris had a sighting almost in the same areas as Larry did. Um, like I mean, within a hundred yards, at a different yeah. a few months after Larry had his sighting, so that I, that area was on my mind this this weekend with the snow, and I'm thinking it'd be awesome to get down in there and walk that that creek and look for for prints because I'm I'm pretty sure I mean I theorize that 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 creek is a travel way for them back and forth because you know we've been down there and and uh, yeah I've had weird stuff happen so um, well our guest today is Darren. Darkwing Lee and Darren uh, or Darkwing uh, has been involved in Bigfoot research since early in 1991, and uh, his interest goes back way before that. And like I think it's 1977. Um, Correct. Yeah. When, yeah, that was an, he had an incident that turned out to be a hoax near his home at the time, but uh, he it it piqued his his interest. One of the things I like about uh, Darren's research, DW. He uh, uh, has a very pragmatic, you know, s- skeptical of the evidence approach to his research, uh, and uh, but also is open to sharing his 
his knowledge and uh, with new, not not just uh, fellow current researchers, but also helping people that are new to the field get their feet wet and get orientated in, uh, in looking for uh, Bigfoot. So without uh, further ado, let's bring on our guest. All right. Hey, Darkwing. <laughs> hey, guys. Welcome to Monster X Radio. Appreciate it. Mm. So, so do I call you Darren, DW, or Darkwing? Uh, you can just call me DW. DW. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> Perfect. So, so DW, tell us for the list, our listeners. Tell us a little bit about um, your background. How you first got interested in the subject. Well, back in 77, uh, I was actually 12 years old, and uh, basically through the woods from my house, uh, an incident happened where this kid claimed that a Bigfoot had come into the backyard and attacked him. And uh, so, you know, we had all kind of Bigfoot researchers running around, uh, and uh, eventually come to find out it was all a hoax. But uh, but that got my interest peaked because uh, I had a little moped, and I don't know if everybody knows what a moped is, but basically just a bicycle with a motor on it. And uh, I lived out in the country, and, of course, I worked for my dad at his gas station, and he told me one night, he said, you ride your moped home. And I rode it on this real dark dirt road, and I just got through watching the Six Million Dollar Man when they had Bigfoot on there. And, you know, it showed Bigfoot can run 60 miles an hour. Well, my moped could only go about 12 miles an hour. So I'm going on this back road, and, of course, that starts playing on my mind and all these stories about the Bigfoot being in the area and attacking that kid. So I start trying to push my moped to go faster by pedaling it. So... Uh, by the time I got home, I swore to myself I was never going to ride that moped again at night. Uh, but uh, come to find out about, oh, roughly about seven or eight years ago, I actually got to talk to one of the guys that did the investigation, and he let me in on a little secret that the kid had made the story up based on what was going on at the farm just down the road from him. Uh, they were having problems with Bigfoot, so... This kid made up his story trying to get attention. So even though his was a hoax, it was based on stuff that was actually going on at the time. And uh, that, that's how I really got into, you know, I, I thought about Bigfoot. And finally in 91, uh, I got around to watching uh, Legend of Boggy Creek, and of course that got me all souped up. And it's about three hours south of me, so I jumped in the car and went down and check things out for a while and that really started getting the bug into me and then uh about a year later I found out that we were having activity up around where I was living at so I got into it then and you know started checking into it and going into the woods and eventually that turned into the Green Country Bigfoot Research Center and then we started attracting members and Next thing you know, we had to change the name to Mid-America Bigfoot Research. So. So one, so there was a bit of a, a gap between your, when you were 12 and you had the, 
the incident that turned out to be based, you found out later was based on actual stuff that was going on nearby. And and the time that you got um, in 91 when you actually became an active researcher, what... Yeah, what, uh, pretty much. What <laughs> caught, yeah. But, so pretty I, much, I mean, yeah. you're 12, so it's a little hard yeah. to jump in as a full... And, and that, in 77, you said there was a lot of... You had quite a few people that came to investigate that that encounter that that turned out to be uh, based based on real events uh, just down the road. Uh, there were yeah. a lot less Bigfoot researchers in '77 than there there are now, so that that's uh, a big deal for to draw you know attention of of when you say a lot of researchers. That's uh, kind of becomes kind of a big deal. Yeah. Nowadays, you you know you you can't hardly swing a dead cat in the woods without hitting a bigfoot researcher. Yeah, that's pretty much the truth there. Uh, this actually was, uh, <laughs> and, and it was funny that the name of the group that did the research it was basically Mid America Sasquatch Research. Huh. Uh, <laughs> and they did the research <laughs> way back there, but uh, I really didn't know the name of the group until I talked to the guy here about five or six years ago and. Then they're like, wow, you know, we're Mid-America Bigfoot Research Center, and you guys were, you know, Mid-America Sasquatch Research. You know, it just kind of <laughs> uh, just kind of threw me for a loop, you know, that we were named something after uh, another group like that in the past. So, Wow. <laughs> so in, uh, when you saw um, the legend of Boggy Creek and made your trip down to the folk, um what what intri- and then you I guess later heard that there was activity. I mean, o- o- Oklahoma is a kind of a hotbed, especially eastern Oklahoma, for Bigfoot activity. So what, I mean, yeah, but back then ahead. though, back then though, you know, uh, there wasn't no internet. Uh, there really wasn't even any kind of a message board. You know, it was just basically mm-hmm. people. M- sending mail to each other, you know, and trying to do little newsletters and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, at the time, Oklahoma really wasn't considered a hot spot just because, you know, word wasn't getting around on the Internet. And, right. Uh, it, it would take till probably about 2000 before uh, basically when I got online and started looking around and stuff, that's, that's when Oklahoma started picking up. So, uh, so basically, you know, back then it was just if you happened to run into somebody that talked about Bigfoot, you know, that's how you basically socialize right. with other Bigfooters. <laughs> yeah, it was hard. I mean, it, there was like you say, it's, people either had to. That's when we probably still had rotary phones. So it, yeah. it took 15 minutes just to <laughs> dial somebody. <laughs> for for you oh. younger folk, <laughs> you used to have to actually turn the stuff. <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, yeah, it, so now um, Mid-America Bigfoot Research Center is, I mean, is, is pretty big stuff. It's 500-plus members from all over the world. So yeah. how did you, like, how did that grow and how did – I'm assuming that when the through the internet it it has got the word out, but how did how did it grow to 500 members? 
Well, when we first started, like I said, it was Green Country Bigfoot Research Center. Uh, Green Country is the region in northeast Oklahoma. And uh, we had about 25 members, mainly just uh, friends and family, you know. But uh, then once uh, the Internet got to where, you know, it was more accessible, uh, we started making connections with people outside of Green Country. Uh, and I believe it was 98 uh, when uh, we decided to go ahead and start bringing these people from out of state in. And after about a year, we decided, well, you know, we can't really call ourselves Green Country because we've expanded. And since the core of our membership was in the surrounding states, we decided to go ahead and go with Mid-America. And, uh, you know, as we expanded on the Internet, we had our own website. We got our own forums. Uh, we, we started attracting more and more folks across the country. And uh, there's been several times we put it to a vote to go ahead and change our name to, like, North America Bigfoot Research Center. But uh, nobody wants to sit down and have to redo all the logos. So we just decided to stay with MABRC, you know, <laughs> Mid-America. <laughs> So, uh, in, in yeah, so DWN, in your um, your experience, I mean, people. My experience with witnesses is that a lot of times they're looking for for an outlet to share their their encounters. Is that been? I mean, that I'm sure that contributed to your group's growth. Well, it, it did at first because we. We listen to each other. We listen to witnesses. You know, we the main goal of the MABRC was to share information with everybody. Uh, you know, we wouldn't share location information or witness names like that. But uh, we uh, we did expand, uh, and uh, one of the things that really hampered the witnesses was. Uh, when basically finding Bigfoot went mainstream, more and more people wanted to uh, just get attention. Mm. So uh, now a lot of times you have to take a, with a grain of salt what a witness is telling you because some of them are just wanting the uh, attention. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I think so. you're right. I think it. I mean it. It is open the doorway to people coming, and we just have. It definitely is. Uh, Put the burden on on investigators to uh, be more thorough, be more discerning in in their the process of investigating eyewitness reports. Because it's a, you're, it not only did it open it it brought it, to me it allowed people to come forward that would maybe wouldn't have before because there was it's being talked about publicly and but but as you said the one of the the downfalls is it also opened up uh, uh, the doorway to a lot of people that may just be attention seeking, making up stuff. So, uh, yeah, I, uh, I I hear what you're saying. Yeah, one recent incident happened a few years ago. Uh, we had a lady here in Oklahoma that approached us with. Uh, saying that she had all kinds of activity going on behind her house. So I I put a couple of researchers on it, and it seemed like all she was doing it for was attention because every time 
my researchers would go up into the hills behind her house. They'd come back down and find three or four campfires in her yard with about 60 people surrounding the campfires. And she was basically acting like a queen bee that, oh, look at me, you know, I got these Bigfooters there. So, you know, to me, that right there pretty much just killed the fact that she had anything going on because she was enjoying the limelight with everybody. Right, and that that is a big red flag when you got a a lot of my experience with eyewitnesses is they they want to be able to talk to somebody about it, but they don't necessarily want to talk to a lot of people about it. They're looking for yeah. someone to listen to their encounter that you know it isn't going to um, uh, make fun of them or or think that they're crazy. So, but but on the other hand, that to me is like you said, it's a big red flag when you. Um, when somebody who says they have activity is turning it into a social event. Yeah. So, you know, while while I like to help witnesses deal with their their sightings, I have to be skeptical when they come to me because, you know, i got to look at the overall, the overall picture. Are they trying to get attention? Are they trying to uh, pull the wool over your eyes? I mean, you know. Uh, just because mm-hmm. they, they come to me and say they had a sighting doesn't mean I should believe them wholeheartedly. So. Right. Still have to be uh, distur- discerning of of uh, once people are, are bringing uh, eyewitness reports. It's like uh, that. And like I said, I think, I think you hit it on the head. I think um, although uh, I, I say finding Bigfoot as, as – allowed some people to come forward that may not have otherwise, but it also has uh, made placed a, a bigger uh, burden on uh, investigators to be more thorough in their their uh, processing of eyewitness reports than than we would have otherwise had to be. Because now you know you also got um, people out in the woods uh, knocking on trees and whooping and doing calls that weren't out there before. I always, you know, think of the picture of the cartoon of of people on one side of a hill knocking and whooping and getting responses from a group of uh, other people on the other side of the hill <laughs> that that both have to watch Finding Bigfoot. So. Well, now it, I'll, it, I'll share a little <laughs> story about that since you mentioned two, <laughs> two groups doing that. Uh, we put on the Hanobi Bigfoot Conference back in uh, 2006, I think it was, and we had uh, Tom Powell and we had uh, Scott Nelson as speakers. And that night we were out researching, and Tom Powell was on a ridge line on the other side of the valley from us, and we had Scott Nelson with us. And Scott did a vocalization, and we got a reply, and we was like, oh, man, this is great. And we sit there for a good five minutes going back and forth with these vocalizations before we got on the radio and realized that Scott was vocalizing to Tom and Tom was vocalizing back to him. <laughs> so, you know, it was just a, a funny incident because, uh, but that's the way it is now, you know. People are out there screaming in the woods and doing wood knocks and, you know, you can't trust what's being done out there anymore. Yeah. I, I agree. I agree with you. It, it makes it really difficult, and I've, I've witnessed this uh, 
firsthand, you know, uh, hearing stuff and, and, and maybe getting that, you know, a little bit of excitement to realize, you know, eventually that it's just someone else out there doing it. And that's yeah. unfortunate. Um, but one of the, one of the, I would imagine um, yourself, DW, you probably have a lot of experience with this and, and some of your other fellow researchers, being as, you, know, you guys have been doing this a long time, um, you know, that one of the, the good things about, about research is it, it's uh, ever developing. If you're a good researcher or, or an honest researcher, you know, you're going to keep, you're going to stay ahead of the game or at least try and keep up with it and, and develop, you know, uh, different techniques and whatnot, including, you know, more talk about, you know, people doing loops and calls and stuff. Uh, one of those uh, things is, you know, uh, looking at, uh, you know, visually looking at the audio that's recorded. Um, it's, it's one way to maybe differentiate um what you're hearing, you know, if it's a human or is it outside the human range, possibly when I mean, uh, I think it's, you know, uh, that's something you, you guys are, you know, probably way ahead of the game on, or at least have looked into it. Yeah, we, we've got some really, really fantastic, excellent, uh, audio guys that they've sit there mm-hmm. and listen hours <laughs> on end to audio that's been brought in. And, uh, you know, when them guys tell me, yeah, this don't match up on the spectrogram with human capabilities, then, you know, I I perk up and say, okay, you know, what do you guys think? And they will go over and over several times on audio trying to match it up through the spectrogram. Right. And truthfully, as an organization, the MABRC doesn't say, oh, this is Bigfoot or, you know, that's a Bigfoot. We say it's a possible or a probable. Uh and uh, I've noticed some other groups are starting to use the same terminology, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. I've told my guys, I don't care if we have a Bigfoot walk up to the recorder and uh, talk for an hour on it. You know, we're not going to say that's a Bigfoot. We're going to say it's a possible Bigfoot. And they all agree and, you know, they all understand what I mean by that. Yeah. Uh, why, I, but, do you tell me, why, why do you... Why do you feel that that's important for some people don't get that? Why is that so important to not um, categorize things and state things so definitively? Well, because the main thing is nobody is an expert on Bigfoot. And until we get one in captivity to where science can study it and, you know, record all these vocalizations that it does, all we can say is it's a possible Bigfoot out there screaming. Uh, so, you know, that's why I tell my guys, you know, we don't never say it's Bigfoot. We say it's possible or probable for the also the reason nobody can lock you in and say, hey, you guys said it was a Bigfoot. No, we said it's a possible or a probable. And, you know, we're, we're skeptical of our own evidence because, for one thing, we have to be skeptical first because when we release it to the public, you know, they're going to tear us apart on it anyway. So let's do our homework right. first before we put it out there. Yeah. And that's why yeah. we've come up with this uh, evidence review board for the MABRC. Uh, you know, all of our evidence goes through them guys first before it gets released to the public, and they go through it with a fine stone. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's key. That's that's so important, especially nowadays, because uh, you know if you can vet uh, your supposed evidence or whatever you bring to the table, you can vet it, rule out just about everything else. You, at the end of the day, 
you know, at least you can say, hey, I got something interesting. I got uh, I got a probable, something interesting that doesn't fit in with known stuff. But you know what? Guess what? We have all this other evidence, this uh, co- collective data. It, 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 it's something that I can see a pattern in or whatnot. Um, and I know, I, I know, DW, uh, you've been at this a long time. You guys collected a ton of stuff. And uh, I guess my question is, you know, you collect all this stuff. Who, but who specifically is, who do you have uh, under your darkling? I mean, or, or, you know, who's working alongside you, uh, you know, and that's, um, that you're proud to call, you know, a fellow researcher, uh, you know? Well, <laughs> pretty much everybody in the MIBRC. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> right I have... I have, uh, and I'm not trying to leave anybody out, but I'll try to run down the list. Uh, I got Randy Savig. He's real great on audio. Uh, I've got uh, Dave Jett. He's another audio guy that's really good. Uh, I've got a gentleman by the name of Dave Gano. Uh, he gets dragged into some of the most distant places with me. Uh, I even have my grandson, Izzy Gutierrez. Uh, he is kind of into girls right now, so, you know, it's kind of hard dragging him out there in the woods. With me, but he, he's been there he with be me a, quite a bit. He must be about 13 or older. So. Yeah, he, he just turned 15 and thinks he knows it all. But, okay. <laughs> but he's been doing research since he was four months old. We used to lay him in the back of the uh, blazer while we was out sitting on listening post. Uh, you know, he, he's he's been around Bigfoot research his whole life, so you know it's just all second nature to him. Uh, then of course my wife, she goes out with me a lot, and uh, you know I, there, there's a lot of great researchers in the MABRC that I spend time with. Uh, let's see, uh, we got Jim Whitehead. He's uh, he's a uh, degree biologist here in Oklahoma. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the list just goes on and on of guys in the group that you mm-hmm. know, I spend time in the field with. Yeah, it, it really sounds like you have a, a pretty stellar group of individuals uh, that are very adamant about this sort of uh, endeavor, this sort of research. Uh, that's oh, yeah. to be commended. That's to be commended. Uh, and, uh, you know, yourself, uh, you're a former Army Ranger, is that correct? Yeah. 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 Well, thank you for your service, first of all. Uh, my uh, my brother uh, just graduated. He's uh, he's now an Army Ranger uh, pursuing other things, but he's an Army Ranger as well. So I, I got a lot of respect for uh, for for you guys, big time. Uh, oh yeah! Think... Congratulations to him. Oh yeah, he's a he's a he's a happy guy. <laughs> he had pneumonia halfway through it, so it was fun. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, you know, how how do you think? Uh, You've had quite an extraordinary um, career, or I call it a career because even maybe you'll call it a hobby, um, but I call it almost a career with this sort of research, especially as long as you've been doing it. How, how do you think your um, skills as an Army Ranger and when I have played into your research? Because I would imagine they're hand in hand in a lot of ways, more than I can. I'm not an Army Ranger, I'm not in the military, never have to, uh, but uh, I can imagine. Um, you possessing a certain amount of skills that really play a great part in this research uh, that many other uh, investigators, researchers, enthusiasts can't even comprehend. Well, uh, uh, one of the best things about my, my military training carrying over is uh, 
the fact that when I'm in the woods, I I keep a constant lookout on everything. Uh, you know, I, I notice details that a lot of people wouldn't notice. Uh, also, when it comes to listening post, I can sit completely still and not make any noise to where other researchers will be sitting there just unable to keep from making any noise. Uh, my wife, for example, she uh, she gets restless leg syndrome after 30 minutes of sitting there, and, you know, I'm still sitting there completely still and not making any noise. And uh, So, you know, a, a lot of the skill set that I learned in the military does help me in the field. Uh, but uh, as far as, you know, people thinking, oh, he's dressing up as uh, in a ghillie suit and, you know, running through the woods trying to, be like in the army. No, I, I gave that up a long time ago because I, I learned. I learned the Bigfoot knows that you're there. Uh, mm. They uh, they they hear you. They also smell you. I mean, they know you're in the woods. There's no real mm-hmm. need to try to hide. Uh, right. And if they want to have something to do with you, they'll come to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree with you more, and I'll be honest, I, I, uh, I do sometimes wear camel and not, but it's mainly because it's comfortable clothing. I don't do it for any other reason than that. I'm not trying to hide from anything. I think it's pointless. Uh, I'm not hunting Bigfoot. Uh, you know, it, like I said, uh, and I totally agree, if, if Bigfoot's interested, it'll be around. Uh, I just basically try to make myself kind of known, which isn't really that hard to do. Like I said, I, I, I think Sasquatch uh, pretty much knows if, you know, if they're in the area, they know you're there. They can smell you, see you all of that. Uh, but uh, I, I think your your set of skills, um, you know, that we've taken away from being an army, well, in the military, and then being a ranger uh, does play a part, being very keen on your surroundings. And I think that's contributed, DW, to your success. Uh, to uh, By success, I mean, you've had, um, uh, I won't call it encounters, uh, and, and you've had sightings. And, I mean, you've had um, some phenomenal stuff happen. And that's why I think uh, when people, because I, you know, I've read and you've said that you've had you know 26 um, encounters, and to a lot of people, uh, they're like 26 encounters. What? Come on! But for me, that's not mind blowing at all to me. And in fact, it's, it doesn't even really phase me uh, because I think with your, your being very observant and, and putting yourself into some of these areas and been doing this research for you know, I mean, you know, since '91, that's yeah. really not that amazing. Well, and and what people don't realize, too, is, you know, 4,000 times in the woods mm. uh, my whole life, you know, uh, if I remember, I just like 0.065% of the time that mm-hmm. I go in the woods, I have an encounter. And uh, most of my MABRC folks will tell you that if I suspect there's a Bigfoot over there in the underbrush, I'm going in after it. And... Uh, you know, there's been several jaws dropped from people outside the group when they see me go in under the brush, you know, going in where there's a Bigfoot at. And, uh, but, you know, I, I sat at a campfire with uh, Dr. Meldrum here seven or eight years ago, me and another researcher, and he, he just flat told us, he goes, what are you out here to do? Are you out here to solve the mystery? Are you out here to sit by the fire and drink beer and have a good old time and hope something happens. 
He said, you know, if well, you're out here to prove be. this. <laughs> well, sometimes it's B. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, sometimes uh, <laughs> there, there's been a I'm couple kidding. of times I've run into the brush and realized, crap, I made a mistake oh. here, you know. And, uh, but, you know, I, I've kind of really let that sink in. You know, I'm out here to prove this. I'm not out here to uh, sugarcoat it for people. Uh, you know, if you can't keep up with me, you need to stay in camp. Uh, and I, I have a broken ankle from being in the field researching. Uh, I had a four-wheeler accident about six years ago, uh, and I broke my ankle while we were on an expedition. And uh, so I can't really go into the underbrush as much as i like to, but, you know, if I think there's a Bigfoot there, I'm going to go in to flush him out, and hopefully if you don't rip my arms off... Uh, you know, I may end up with a handful of hair that, you know, I can say, hey, I know this come from a Bigfoot because I pulled it off his hide, so. <laughs> uh, you know, with all with all your years of research, you, uh, what, what are some of the um, key things you've taken away as far as evidence? I mean, with your research, what, ev- what pieces of evidence do you find, uh, have you found to be compelling? And then, Aside from your personal research and your first research, what are some of the most compelling pieces of evidence that you've seen over the years out there that that you think are interesting, at least, if not compelling? Well, uh, there is some thermal footage that me and another researcher acquired uh, two weeks apart in the same area that shows the same behavior of a possible Bigfoot. Uh, It's set in Washtenaw for 30 to 45 minutes from behind the bank. And, uh, you know, to me that was pretty compelling. Uh, and then, of course, there is the uh, the fact that we took, uh, and I will say strongly probable that we caught a picture of a uh, young juvenile Bigfoot going across the trail, mainly because a... One of the researchers present actually seen it going across the trail when the pictures were taken. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, that, and we also have the the grass balls that were thrown at us in the middle of a field. Uh, that, that's pretty compelling evidence for me that something was in the field with us. Grass uh, balls. Yeah, grass no, balls. You see, uh, that's new to me. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, uh, what it was is uh, the grass was basically picked and wrapped together and turned into projectiles. We call them grass balls. They're not really balls, but, you know, that's the name we gave them. And they were tossing them at us. And uh, where they had been laying at, you could see where the grass had been picked, and they had made them just within about 30 to 40 feet from us. And we even had people try to recreate these grass balls, and they couldn't do it. Our fingers were just not that uh, limber enough to do it. Hmm. So, uh, you know, that, that that's the kind of evidence outside of the uh, the audio evidence that I've heard. Uh, mm-hmm. We actually, uh, one of our researchers caught what appears to be something walking up, laying down beside a recorder at one of our expeditions, sleeping for three hours, 
it then gets up and walks over by the recorder and proceeds to urinate. And uh, <laughs> then it kind of grunts and it walks off. How do you know that's well, not one of the other researchers? <laughs> well, <laughs> one of the things that we do is uh, when we go on an expedition in an area, mm-hmm. we actually cover the area pretty heavy to make sure that we don't find any other camp sites around, you know, where people are in the area. And we right. also take and put our recorders, I mean, we basically carpet bomb an area with audio recorders. Uh, the last expedition, we had a uh, one of our research areas is a six-mile-long valley. And we basically put a recorder about every half mile down through that valley. And uh, because of that, we could tell, okay, if we heard it on uh, recorder A, you know, but we didn't hear it on recorder C, then it was probably, you know, between recorder A and B. So we listened to B. If it wasn't on B, then we know it happened on the other side of recorder A. I mean, you know, we tried to figure out where it's at. Mm. So, uh, but one that, of the main things so that we you, do is we. So yeah, go ahead. And that's. That's getting corroborating evidence, so you don't just yeah. need one single one single piece of audio. Which we all have lots of experience with audio recordings and know that you know they're they're the most open to um, interpretation and not you know we got to run them through a font. So I like that approach of of identifying where you have different recorders and and then identifying where. Um, if you get something where it would, because um, after a while, I mean, do you kind of, uh, we talk a lot about uh, identifying patterns. So do you, through, through using that technique, have you identified any um, unique patterns of where you think they're coming from in a particular area? Or Well, uh, thankfully the areas that we've been researching, uh, for the last 15 years, we, we've already figured out their patterns. Uh, we know that they basically make a about a 45-mile round trip from each one of our research areas. Now, we haven't quite figured out, you know, how many days in between each place that they go because I think that's really just a random thing. You know, they figure, okay, it's time to move on, and they move on to the next one. But uh, we uh, we have come to the conclusion that uh, they do a lot of mimicking. We've we've got a lot of mimicking uh, recordings. Uh, we've uh, actually got one recording where something is calling out my wife's name, uh, and just so happened that night I was hollering her name out trying to get her to move a vehicle, and we think that it was mocking her name. Because about four years previously, we had my grandson out there with us, and we was having to holler and say, Izzy, would you stop that? Izzy, stop doing that. Izzy, get over here. Because he was, I think, seven at the time and just getting into everything. So uh, one of our researchers actually seen a Bigfoot standing behind his vehicle in the river reed. So I got a little nervous having the grandson down there since they were getting that close. 
And I took him in town and come back out, and me and my wife stayed out there with the rest of the researchers. And in the middle of the night, we heard something go, Izzy. And my wife, she about sat straight up, and uh, she goes, did you hear that? I said, shh, just wait. So it said, Izzy. And then another different tone voice said his name. And the only thing we could really think of is, they heard us saying his name so much, they were imitating it to see, you know, what would happen. So, Jeez. Um, <laughs> yeah, and this all happened. My wife's name being called out uh, uh, was actually three miles down the creek from this location, but it was about five years apart. So, you know, uh, basically we think that the, the Bigfoot have gotten used to me being around uh, mm-hmm. and listening to me and stuff like that. Beside beside that sort of uh, mimicking, what other mimicking um, do you think Sasquatch are capable of? Other animals, uh, what kind of mimicking are you uh, describing? Well, uh, they, they can mimic all kinds of noise. Uh, there's a report from... Uh, South Oklahoma, where a hunter was up in a tree uh, roughly about eight or nine years ago when they still were using the old-style pagers that, you know, beeped mm-hmm. when they went off. And he had his <laughs> yeah. pager from work with him, and he's sitting up in the uh, the tree stand, and uh, his beeper went off. So he reached down, and he shut it off. And back behind him in the woods, he heard the same thing. And he first he thought it was his beeper going off, so he went and tried to shut it off and realized it wasn't making the noise. And he turned around, and there was a Bigfoot about 100 yards behind him making the beeping noise. So, uh, That's uh, creepy. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, we've also had them, what we believe is uh, making animal calls. Uh, we were up around... Chelsea, Oklahoma one time, and uh, some of our researchers was watching a uh, figure laying out in the, the field in front of them, and they had their lights shined on it, and back behind them in the woods, a, uh, a vocalization started where it started out as a dove, turned into a peacock, turned into a dog, turned into a, I believe it was a cow, and then an owl, all just in one vocalization. I mean, it, it was like something behind them was trying to break their attention away from the one out in the field so he could get away. Wow. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I, I personally never, I, I've heard a lot of weird things in the woods uh, in person. Um, uh, the one thing I will say I've heard in multiple areas uh, that. I won't know. I don't know. I won't call it a mimic per se, but it's a whistle. And this whistle, uh, this particular type of whistle, is one that I've heard in areas where something has happened. Yeah, like I've heard a whistle and a tree's been pushed over. I, I say pushed over. A tree has come down. I assumed it was pushed over. A tree has come down after, shortly after a couple of whistles. Uh, and and in the middle of the day, uh, no wind or anything. Uh, or or a whistle where. A buddy of mine had his dog take off after this whistle, and then the dog doesn't run after nothing. I mean, you know, but these, this particular whistle or whistles, and the dog runs away from us and towards the whistle. Uh, 
have you heard, uh, you know, uh, whistles and do you think Sasquatch is capable of this? Uh, you know, some, you know, orangutans are, so why not Sasquatch? Yeah, I, I've heard the whistles before too. And, uh, you know, I can't say a Bigfoot made them because, you know, right. like like anything, nobody really has the proof that Bigfoot makes any noise at all. You know, for all we know, they could be mute, you know, but uh, I, I've heard the whistle before and, you know, I've heard it when there was uh, a sighting of a Bigfoot in the area, but uh, I'm not much one for uh, saying that it's a Bigfoot just because right. uh, one of the things that uh, that I do know is sometimes the wind will blow through trees and actually create a whistle sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know... Are you actually hearing something make a whistle or, you know, is it a tree where the wind's blowing through or maybe a rock or, you know. Uh, right. So uh, that goes back to, you know, until you until you run into the Bigfoot and he's sitting there whistling, you know, the Andy Griffin show or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah. So. You know, it's so true. It's so true. That's no, right. I mean, well said. It's because that's because uh, Bigfoot's getting cable out there in the woods. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but it, that's well said. It's a great point because uh, you know I I've heard uh, I, no I've had mine I've had a sighting um, without vocals right so I, I but I've been in the woods and, and heard things um, that are peculiar in areas that I'm of interest but I can't I can't say that Sasquatch did that I, I can't I didn't see Sasquatch pucker up his lips and blow blow a whistle I can look at Native American mask and, and see the way their lips are formed on there, you know, and whatnot. But still, once again, still do not see a Sasquatch do it. I'm just looking for possible explanations. Uh, yeah. and, it, it, and that goes that goes with howls and knocks and everything. I mean, I've never seen a Sasquatch pick up a rock or, or, or a limb and hit a tree. Um, but I have had an experience where, where I had a sighting and that stuff did occur. Uh, so I can maybe assume possibly that the two are tied together. But what my point being is so many people nowadays, and you've been at this a long time, longer than I have, and I and I respect that. Uh, I won't call you an old timer. Um, I'll say you're uh, <laughs> experienced. You're experienced, yeah. uh, <laughs> and, and been at this a lot longer than I have, and I have a huge amount of respect for that. Uh, and and you're people like you, I I um, look up to, and I also look uh, when I ha- come into something uh, for research, you know, that I have a question about. I usually try and look at what what did uh, you know such yourself. What, what you guys did or what you guys came up with. A lot of times those answers are out there, and I just don't know know them. But nowadays it's like everybody and their mom is a researcher, investigator, or at least they're claiming to be in, and they're, you know, all the, you know, we kind of touched upon this at the beginning of the show. It's, do you think this sort of um, this sort of research or supposed research is going to die down where you know, all these individuals are out there doing this thing, you know, and because of the show Finding Big Bigfoot, and because it's become popular, it's become social. Do you think it's going to die down and we'll actually get back to a plateau of just getting back down to the raw the raw stuff? Or do you think it's going to be an up-and-down roller coaster ride? Well, it's going to happen the same way that uh, ghost hunting went. Uh, you know, when uh, TAPS come out with their ghost hunting show, uh, everybody 
realize, well, hey, I can go ghost hunting. I mean, there ain't nothing really special, you know, and they go out and they get their cheap thrills. Now there's so many ghost hunting groups out there that even if you want to try to do a actual investigation, you go to a place that's got activity and they're like, well, sorry, you know, we got a waiting list of all these groups wanting to get in. Mm. And uh, the same thing has happened with Bigfooting. Uh, you've got all these uh, shows on that people are like, oh, wow, you know, I can go out in the woods. I can sit and listen, you know. And uh, a lot of them go out there without even doing any research online to see what's been done or how to do it. Uh, they they just think, oh, I can go out there and something will happen. And then they come back and they're like, well, you know, Bigfoot don't exist because I didn't see nothing out there. Well, <laughs> yeah. you know, before you yeah, all go out yeah. in the woods, do some research. I mean, Google is the the best friend of anybody. You can put in anything into Google, and it brings up 10,000 freaking answers, you know, that you can go and uh, look at. And... uh what what really gets my goats these days is new people come in and they jump up and say, oh, we got this killer idea. And it's like, you know, we done that. <laughs> we done that 10 years ago, you know, and this is the result. Oh, y'all didn't do that. Well, you know what? Have a little bit of respect for the people that's been there uh, before y'all. And, uh, you know, I, I have no problem if somebody comes to me and says, hey, did y'all try this? Yeah, we tried it. Here's our result. You may have different results, but, you know, this is what we tried. Uh, but most people, well, basically what I've learned from most people nowadays that don't really get into the research for uh, to prove the, the creatures exist to science, they're doing it for a cheap thrill. And uh, I, I really see that this is going to continue to be the way it is, especially with Facebook. Uh, you know, anybody can get on there and proclaim themselves to be an expert and, uh, mm. you know, get a following, and it just keeps going from there. So I really I really don't see in a plateau any time in probably our lifetimes. I mean, you know, it, it'll, it'll only plateau when... They bring in a body and put it on the slab and prove it once and for all, and then, you know, maybe they'll start running people out of the woods. Yeah, you know, it's 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 uh, it, it's crazy to me because of, I mean, and I trust me, I'm a proponent of social media. I love, I, I do. Uh, I I I have Facebook and whatnot, and I I have family around the world, so I need to keep in touch with them. And of course, I I run this show partly through uh, Facebook and. A lot of collaboration through Facebook. There really is a double-edged sword because it seems like you know, uh, not just with Facebook, but social media uh, and everything else. Yeah, YouTube. You gotta, yeah, YouTube. Right. Anything. There, it's such a, a it can be such a drawback because all of a sudden everybody's an expert. Everybody has Bigfoot on their property or knows where Bigfoot is. They know what they're doing. Uh, they, they're just an expert, and it's kind of a joke to me. Or it's more than a joke in a lot of ways because you know if you're putting yourself out there on social media saying, I know this and I know that, uh, what's the point? Yeah. Well, I, well, I don't want to prove their existence. No, no, I, man, you know, where's the problem? What's the point? What are you What are you ultimately sharing? It, it doesn't make any sense. Well, that's, to me. It's, kind of, it's mind-boggling. And, you know, I mean, I look up to people like um, 
so John Vandernagel recently came out, and uh, he's uh, if you don't know John Vandernagel, well, I suggest you figure it out. John Vandernagel is a I'm a huge fan of him. He's a friend of mine, and and uh, he's uh, recently come out and said you know he's got cancer and his days are limited. That's unfortunate. Um, he's a pioneer in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, others may not think so, but I do. Uh, pioneer and, yeah. and at least an advocate for Sasquatch and, and a, a solid researcher uh, that is and very successful in a lot of ways. And a scientist. Right. You know, and one of the few right. scientists. A scientist to put his yeah. put his reputation on the line to to participate in in Bigfoot research. So yeah, you gotta you gotta give kudos to to gentlemen like that. Yeah. Right, and we we as 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 students and as uh, researching the subject as investigators or whatever have to I, I think have to pay homage and and do justice uh, because the the groundwork's been laid. It's where are you going to take that, and what are you going to do with yeah. it? And to me, that's important. Well, that's oh, yeah. true. I mean, one, one of the problems. One of the problems with social media gives a, a, a broad audience to anybody. So anybody that can post, you know, post a picture without vetting it, and 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 hardcore researchers like yourself, DW and and Shane and our groups, the Olympic Project, those kinds of groups, we know the difference between armchair researchers that are sitting at home, you know, in their in their parents' basement. Uh, commenting on stuff as experts and people that actually have have been out in the woods four thousand times. I mean, that's there. There, you can talk to somebody like yourself, and and know the difference. Just just the way that you you talk about the research and and your discernment about not um, not everything is Bigfoot, you know, and that yeah. that is approach that I have a lot of respect for so that's and I'm, I know that Shane does it's it's that's the approach it's it it isn't it isn't uh that we're this subject's gonna it, it could the subject could get proven by a, a log truck hitting a bigfoot tomorrow and it could all be you know everything that was built up till now could it could end that quickly as all this now it's proven um but but the real field research isn't isn't as glamorous as as some people would like to make it be. It's a lot of, a lot of times, of it's being out in the woods four thousand times, and 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 having twenty six encounters. I mean that's, yeah. you know, go do the math. That's a very low percentage of times, and and you're not claiming uh, that you've seen Bigfoot twenty six times. You've had twenty six incidents where you believe that what you encountered Bigfoot is that. How many? How yeah. many? Let's break that down a little bit. What I mean? How many hardcore Class A sightings have you had? I would say about fourteen off the top of my head. I, I'd have to sit here and take my take my socks off and use my fingers and toes <laughs> to <Yeah>. count. <laughs> but uh, you know, uh, you know, I'm when I say those uh, twenty four times or twenty six times. You know, I'm not saying rock throwing incidents or vocalizations. I'm talking about where something significantly happened to, you know, basically blow me away. Uh, and, you know, the 14 times I actually seen something, one of those times I had 12 other people with me, and we all saw mm-hmm. it. And, uh, 
basically kind of to go on what happened there uh we had one of our researchers he's a wrestling coach and his wrestlers went to state so he brought them out to uh do a little research with us and uh we had set them all out in little groups to in listening posts and uh the furthest one out started calling on the radio coach coach you got to get here there's something you know walking around us so uh, we got to the first one, and they said, man, we've been smelling this dead fish smell, and uh, it keeps coming in and going out. And we got a Bigfoot in our area that smells like four-week-old dead fish. And uh, we think it's because, you know, it's died as fish. So I said, okay, I'll stay here while you run up and get the rest of the boys. Well, when he got back, I had been smelling this coming in and out, in and out. So I said, okay, let's shine our lights up in the creek here and see what we spot. Well, we shined our lights, and there was a Bigfoot standing in the creek. And he just stepped up out of the creek behind this V-shaped tree. And we kept our lights on it, and the other boys that was there with us started shining their lights. And uh, the coach got on the radio, and he told the guys that had already went back to camp, get down here quick with everything that lights up. Well... It didn't seem like he even got off the radio before them boys had run all the way down there where we were at. And we lit this thing up, and it stayed. I mean, it would look out every so often, but the tree was so small, you could see its shoulders on both sides. And uh, Finally, after about five minutes of sitting there watching it across the creek, we uh, said, you know, let's turn off our lights for a second and turn it back on and see if we can catch it moving out from behind the tree so we can get a better view of it. Well, <laughs> just as soon as we shut the lights off and shut them back on, there is river reed about 75 feet behind it, and all you can see is the river reed weaving back and forth where it had made a beeline right through the river reed. It moved that fast. So, you know, there was 12 witnesses with me that we all seen that Bigfoot. So, you know, I can definitely say that was an encounter so and that's that i mean you can't hardly get more compelling uh encounter than that many witnesses seeing the same thing yeah so you know yeah. uh and that's why i'm a strong proponent against bigfoot can cloak because <laughs> that was a prime time for that bigfoot to cloak if they could actually cloak because we had it pinned behind that tree with all those lights, you know. So when people say, oh, Bigfoot can cloak, I, you know, it just, to me, uh-uh, Bigfoot can't cloak because there's been too many opportunities that I've put a Bigfoot in that it could have cloaked, but it didn't. I mean, I hope that makes sense. Yeah, no, it, yeah. Uh, I, I'm not a, a – I, I, I figure that if Bigfoot cloaks, you can cloak in any situation, and it's not an, a, you know, it's not an ability that they could uh, uh, have. They either have it or don't have it, and that's yeah. one of the things that, for me, the that that explanation of or that attribute that people, some people, and it's a very few number of people that give uh, uh, Bigfoot that um, attribute. Uh, why would it? Why would we ever have a sighting if Bigfoot could cloak? And yeah. Bigfoot either has to be they they have to be 
they are either paranormal or they're not. And um, for the vast majority of eyewitness encounters, they do not just, you know, that isn't something that's reported. It's reported in a very small, minute fraction of of uh, of people, and uh, I tend to discount those um, those encounters as some other explanation. So I agree with you. There's not there's not uh, that's not in my uh, experience. It's not something that Bigfoot does. Yeah. Until I see it, I, and I think if you if you if that's something that you tell people um, is something that happens with frequency, you you better uh, you, you need to understand that other people, until they experience it themselves, are going to um, not not uh, buy into that for the most part. Yeah, the uh, you know uh, DW, the research over the years has I mean. A lot of people have been, been at this research over the years. I mean, oh, many years, including yourself. Do you think we're getting somewhere? Do you think uh, we're we're backtracking, or, or do you think there's actually better research now than say 20 years ago? Where where is the Sasquatch research at, and what's going to become of it? I mean, is this going to just uh, be a mystery for the rest of our lives? Well, uh, truthfully, and I don't like to sugarcoat things. That's one of the things I'm known for. I've even been <laughs> called an arrogant a-hole before because I don't sugarcoat things. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, for the most part, our uh, our research has went down the gutter. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we've got better tools now that we can use. Uh, you know, we've drawn off of the experiences of the old-timers. You know, like uh, Bender Nagel and DeHendon and, you know, John Green and all them guys. Yeah. But uh, the, the the way things are going now, we spend more time having to deal with uh, shenanigans. As uh, <laughs> Julie told me a while ago, uh, shenanigans. Uh, <laughs> th- there's just too much shenanigans going on. And we, we're having to deal with... Uh, we're having to deal with garbage being thrown out there. Uh, we, we spend more time trying to do damage control about bigfooting than we do actually going out there in the field to uh, to look for it. Uh, like you said earlier, you know, you got got these people that are living in their basements, you know, that probably never been in the woods for for any reason, and. Uh, they're just muddying up the waters for those that uh, are actually out there doing the research. So I, right. I really don't see it getting any better. Uh, we we just those of us that are really into this uh, in this to actually prove they exist. We'll keep trudging on. We'll do our research. We'll. Bring the stuff in, but for the most part, man, not to mm-hmm. not to get people screaming, but you know you got people <laughs> like Matthew Johnson up in Oregon telling people that portals open and Bigfoot heals you and all this, and then you got <clears throat> people down in Texas that are running 
uh, bogus expeditions for 500 bucks a pop and then never come through with uh, taking the people on expeditions. So, you know, yeah, those are, we, we, yeah, those are kind of the exceptions. I mean, I, Dr. J is is at the far end of, you know, the one end of the spectrum. Now, and then there's and then there's folks like like yourself that that are at the other end of, you know, it's this is a yeah. hard, we need to we need to collect evidence in order to prove it that um Bigfoot is a flesh and blood animal that that uh, the only way to prove it is through uh Collection of data and and uh, eventually it's either going to take you know it's going to take a specimen alive or dead or some kind of long term research project where um, that is scientific where multiple pieces of data are collected of different of corroborating evidence like photographic DNA um, audio stuff that all ties together you know where it's and it can be replicated more than once. Jane Goodall kind of, kind of, you know, guerrilla research, monkey research, or and being able to replicate that in the Bigfoot field, which hasn't happened to this point. So one of the places, one of the places in your research, do you um, go to the same research area, or do you have multiple areas? How how do you approach that? Well, I've got 14 different research areas, but they're all connected by a high-voltage power line right away. And we do believe okay. we do believe that the Bigfoot use that as a source of uh, navigation. I mean, they may not walk down the power line right away, but they may use that because we've got a white Bigfoot, and it's been spotted in all these different areas. And... Uh, so it leads us to believe, and I mean, basically assume, you know, what what assume means. But we think this is the <laughs> alpha male because he goes to, he's been seen in all the different areas. So, uh, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things that uh, I've got those areas, and then other researchers close to me they've got areas that you know they invite me down to and uh i've been invited to other research areas uh from other groups uh you know it it's one of those things i, I kind of prefer to stay in my home research areas because i know mm-hmm. I, I i know how my bigfoot react i know basically uh if i want an encounter you know this is the way i got to do things uh you know, like uh, the the six-mile-long valley I was talking about earlier, uh, we've learned that if we go roaring up through there on a four-wheeler and or a couple four-wheelers and go up about halfway and then turn around and come back, we seem to have activity as they seem to follow us out to, you know, see if we actually come out of the valley or, you know, what we is up to. Uh, so, you know, when I go into these other researchers areas you know i got to rely on their experiences to know how to react to what's going on in their areas it's not always the same everywhere you go right right but um dw you know you you know you've had quite a lot of uh experiences encounters uh 
Uh, I did see that uh, you had mentioned before that, you know, most, while you've had these encounters and whatnot, most of them were very tranquil, uh, non-threatening. There were two that were um, not so that way. I mean, you, you were you were a little bit uh, afraid or frightened or uh, just caught off guard. What, what happened? Yeah. Well, uh, the first one was what I refer to as the ape parade. I was... Uh, I was in a field that has been known to have a lot of activity, and uh, the other researcher, he was in a uh, basically a research trailer that he had built on the other end of the field, and uh, I had backed my blazer up into the woods, and we'd run cameras out and put bait underneath the cameras and had a DVR going in the vehicle. So what I did is I put... Uh, blankets over the windows so I could turn on the monitor every so often and see what was going on. And I also had my parabolic on the back side of the blazer pointing into the woods. So uh, about three or four hours after I'd crawled in there and settled in, I heard walking coming up behind the vehicle. And it stopped right behind the vehicle. And I was like, holy cow, you know, what's going on here? And then a couple of minutes later, another something come walking up there and then a third one and they basically were standing behind the blazer and uh i had my headphones on i was listening and it sounded like something had reached over with a fingernail and tapped the bowl on my parabolic so i'm sitting there <laughs> like holy cow you know uh we're uh you know are they going to come around the side so i had my camera ready and i dropped the uh, blanket right there on the window that I was sitting at down so I could, you know, catch them if they come around. Well, as I'm sitting there, I see what looks like uh, a bunch of hogs or cows going across the field in front of me. And so I'm watching them. I'm like, what the heck is this? And they get to the tree line and they stand up on two legs and walk in. So you know, I'm like, what the crap did I just see? So I'm sitting there freaking out because the other researchers at the other end of the field, which is about a 10-acre field, and I didn't know it at the time, but he's uh, down there getting rock stone at his little enclosed trailer uh, at the same time all this is happening on to me. So I'm sitting there, and uh, I saw another group coming across. And once they get to the tree line, they stand up on two legs and walk in. And I'm really freaking out now because it's like, man, you know, there's so far that's about eight creatures that I saw go across the field and walk into the woods. And I got possibly three behind me. And then a third group comes across that field. And they get to the tree line, they stand up, and they walk in too. And uh, despite what Mystic 82 says, it wasn't pigs because pigs don't get up on two hind legs and walk into the woods. Uh, mm, that's not been my experience either. Yeah. So I'm sitting there totally freaking out because, uh, you know, by now i am roughly got about 15 animals around me. And uh, I'm listening through my headphones. I hear breathing. And then I hear 
these three groups had went down through the woods and was coming around behind me. And once they got past me, one at a time, the three that was behind me turns around and walks off. So I wait till morning. Uh, I go get the other researcher, and behind the blazer where they were standing, they uh, they had stood there long enough that they trampled the grass into a mud hole. And we had put a uh, children's uh, pinwheel by my back tire on the passenger side. Well, it was in the middle of that, uh, basically a mud puddle where they'd been standing. So we went over to the tree line where they had walked in, and you could see where the grass had been tromped down where they had walked through. So, you know, I call that the ape parade, but... uh, it spooked me so bad to see that many of these animals all at one time that it took me a year before I went back into that uh, field, you know, again wow. with other researchers. And then uh, a couple of years ago, you know, I talked about we'd drive a four-wheeler up through into the valley and turn around and come back. And, uh, well... We were having the uh, Oklahoma Bigfoot Symposium that weekend, and there was a bunch of researchers there that wanted to go out on a uh, listening post. So I wasn't thinking much about it. I just thought, well, you know, I'll run up into the valley with my four-wheeler and come back, and, you know, maybe they'll follow us out, and the guys can sit there and catch them as they come out of the valley. So I go roaring up through the valley, and I'm thinking, well, you know, for lack of a better way of saying it, I was like, well, you know, we're doing this just for the show of it because I don't think as many people have been down here. You know, the Bigfoot will be down this close. So I went roaring up through there, and uh, there's an S-curve in the trail. And I come around the first part of the S-curve, and as I come around the second part, I catch two Bigfoot carrying a sizable calf. Now, when I say calf, I'm talking about five, 600 pounds. Uh, most people think when you say calf, they're thinking the little bitty guys have just been born. But for people in the country, you know, a calf is basically everything up until a full-size uh, cow. So uh, as soon as I see this, I'm doing about 15 miles an hour, and all of a sudden the back of my four-wheeler gets raised straight up, and I'm almost tossed over the front uh front handles and uh i look back over my shoulder and i see the shoulder of a bigfoot that had grabbed the back of my four-wheeler stopped me basically dead in my tracks and lifted it up and it set me down and i spun around on the trail and hightailed it back out of the the valley and uh when i got to where the listening post was they pretty much was like, man, you are just about in shock, you know, drink some water, you know, trying to get me to calm down. And the four-wheeler I was on was smoking from, you know, me giving everything I had to get out of there. Uh, And the bad thing about it was is I usually will mount a camera on the front of the four-wheeler when I go through the woods, whether it be a thermal or a video camera. I didn't think nothing was going to happen, so I didn't mount anything. But uh, that scared me so bad that when I got back to camp, I had to 
had to catch my breath. And then, of course, one of my other researchers that uh, I love being in the woods with because, you know, he's pretty calm about things. Mm-hmm. Uh, he walks up to me and he goes, you're being a wuss. Let's go back down there and see what's going on. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm scared already. I mean, you know, it was pretty scary incident. And I'm like, all right, get on. So we go down there. And they had pushed a big old branch over the trail to keep anybody from coming behind them. So, uh, you know, uh, Ron Bowles from the BFRO was there. Uh, David Holly from uh, the Timberline Bigfoot Research Group was there. Uh, you know, they they saw how wide I was and how... Uh, freaked out I was just because of the way it happened but uh you know I'll still go up through that valley on my own but every time I leave camp down in that area I've got a uh uh GoPro strapped mm-hmm. to my forehead so you know whatever happens I'm going to get it on video so right so that, well, that you know, that's uh, the two real scary incidents right yeah, I mean, uh, and, and uh, you know, throughout uh, this lore, this the you know the Bigfoot world, there there are others. Um, have you heard of any others? So outside of your um, your personal personal research, have you heard of other uh, encounters such as yours, or maybe even worse, uh, that you you find compelling or interesting uh, that um, you think maybe are plausible uh, within the realm of plausibility, so to speak? <laughs> Well, uh, one that stands out quite a bit uh, actually happened uh, just a little bit south of that valley. Uh, A guy that was working as a janitor for one of the schools south of us was out riding his horse and was going through this field. And uh, basically uh, his horse and him walked right up on a Bigfoot coming the opposite way, and his horse reared up and knocked him off. And it startled the Bigfoot, and he kind of fell on his butt. And uh, they both stood up, and the Bigfoot continued walking right by him. And as he brushed by him, he kind of nudged him with his shoulder and kept on going. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I think it was just basically, you know, hey, you scared the crap out of me, you know. (laughs) Uh, And then another one uh, happened in another one of my research areas, uh, this family owned their farm, and they had some of these big industrial-type uh, chicken houses, you know, the kind that they yeah. grow chickens for Tyson's and all that. Well, he kept losing chickens, and he couldn't figure out why because he couldn't find no holes. He couldn't see where, you know, an animal was crawling up in there and killing them or whatever. Uh, so one day he was walking down along one of his uh, chicken houses, and uh, he come around the corner at the same time a Bigfoot come around the corner with a big armful of chickens. And they run into each other, and the guy got knocked on his butt, and the Bigfoot dropped all the chickens. And he said him and the Bigfoot looked at each other, and then the Bigfoot scooped up a couple of chickens and kept on going. And that's when he realized that the Bigfoot had realized he could open the door, scoop up some chickens, and then close the door back to keep the chickens from all getting out. And uh, 
you know, the Bigfoot just walked on by him, you know, didn't do him any harm or anything like that, but it scared the guy so bad that he sold the farm just as soon as he could. Uh, so, you know, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of stories. I mean, there is a lot of stories like that, but you know, but not as many uh, stories uh, of this um, caliber as you know, where it's just a fleeting glimpse or something crossing the road or or whatever. I mean, those stories where uh, people report being attacked or, or as they see it or feeling a whole lot of fear. I mean, those are minimal. I mean, really, you know, in reality, uh, realistically speaking. Most encounters are, um, I'll call them peaceful, uh, you know, where it's like, it's like basically <laughs> you're running across a deer. Deer flees, runs away. Same thing with Sasquatch in most encounters. But mm-hmm. there are some some encounters where they are what perceive as aggressive. Uh, we could be wrong, you know. I mean, just because. Well, you know, uh, like. Yeah. Yeah, like when it picked up my four-wheeler. Was it being right. aggressive? Well, you know, if it wanted to be aggressive, it could have tore my head off, you know, and uh, just left the four-wheeler sitting there. I think it was trying to protect the other two Bigfoot from me running into them. And, uh, you know, a, a lot of times I think the Bigfoot are just like us. Sometimes they have a bad day, and if you run into one that's having a bad day, yeah, it's going to get a little aggressive with you, you know, or if you corner it, it's going to get a little aggressive with you. Or, you know, if there's a juvenile nearby and, mm. you know, you've got too close to that juvenile, yeah, they're going to get aggressive. They're just like any other animal. Mm-hmm. But for all these stories that people seem to come up with that, oh, you know, Bigfoot uh, slaughtered my dogs or, you know, uh, killed an entire party of people at a campsite, you know, uh, it, it just doesn't make sense because uh, if Bigfoot was so dangerous, I mean, you would have a lot more people showing up or getting killed in, you know, state parks and uh, forests where people are going hiking and camping at. I mean, you know, I just don't right. think Bigfoot is going to really – attack people the way some of these people want you to believe. Mm-hmm. And for my encounters, you know, I, I've I've run up behind a Bigfoot, uh, and it was squatted down and looked like a shadow when I first shined my light towards it. But then it stood up and turned around and looked at me and just kind of made me think from its expression that don't mess with me. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm going back down the hill because... You know, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to press my luck here. You right, know, I, right. I basically forced myself on him, you know, by running up after him. And, of course, his only recourse was, you know, stare me down. And if I didn't leave, then, you know, probably rip off my arm and beat me with it, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, it only stands a reason for it. You know, thinking in my head, uh, the amount of times I've been in the woods and and and, and experienced things, uh, maybe not even Sasquatch related, but you know, you made a great point about the numbers. I think there, you know, people are like, oh, there's a ton of missing people in the woods. There's a ton of people that uh, 
know, go missing, you know, in these sports, you know, up here, you know, fame, a pretty well-known book out there now, and uh, David Pulley's writes a book called Missing 411, and you know what, some of those stories are very compelling, um, very compelling, uh, and interesting, um, and, and to David's credit, I will say this, he doesn't say necessarily Bigfoot, he leaves it very much open, um, but, uh, you know, a lot of those cases have been solved since the book's come out, a lot haven't, um, you know, but a lot of those cases I'm sure can be solved rationally. Uh, I don't I, personally. I, I used to go to Yosemite. Uh, we're talking about a hot spot for missing people. Yosemite. I used to go to Yosemite all the freaking time, and I could see yeah. why people go missing or get uh, lost or hurt and never found. I could see it. It wasn't mind-boggling to me. There's a lot of known predators out there, both the animal and human, and also oh, yeah. a lot of uh, areas areas uh, you know that you can fall off a cliff, you can get caught in a rock. I mean, there's a lot of explainable reasons why people go missing. Now, I'm not saying Sasquatch isn't responsible for, you know, possibly some of these missing cases. I'm not saying that at all. Uh, just like I wouldn't say a, a, a big cat or a bear or a person is not responsible for some of these missing people. But, I mean, what are your thoughts on, on that sort of thing? Because it seems to be the here and now and everybody's talking about it. It'll die down, I assume, um, sometime down the road, just like much of this, you know, social media stuff with Sasquatch. But I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Well, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, you know, I, I'm kind of like you. I've I've been to quite a few of these national forests, and you know, uh, Yosemite. There's mm-hmm. a lot of wildlife there. Uh, but uh, another thing that a lot of people don't understand too is there is a lot of uh, marijuana growers and meth labs and even good old moonshine uh, stills that people put out in the woods. And if you're not careful and you happen to come upon one of these when the people are out there that is making this stuff, you know, it don't take much for them to put a bullet in you and throw you under some leaves and nobody, Mm -hmm. you know, nobody will ever find you again. Uh, We were in one of my research areas and we seen three SUVs and a couple of uh, dirt bikes coming down through there at night. And they turned right before they got to us down this trail and went on down to where a cabin was. And it probably was within 20 minutes we smelled uh, the, the odor that you smell when somebody's cooking meth. And I told the researchers that was with me, you know, we got to get out of here because... Yeah. If they find out that we're at down here and they're down there cooking meth, it ain't going to bode well for us. <laughs> uh, so, you know, uh, there, there's a lot of times that these people can turn up missing because they've come upon uh, somebody cooking meth or, uh, you know, come upon a marijuana field mm-hmm. that's been booby-trapped. Uh, well, that's true. And even then, you know, people fall break their leg, you know, and they, a lot of times they fall off the trail and they just can't make it back up to the trail, and that's where they end up dying, and nobody finds them because, you know, once the yeah. once the animals in the forest start munching on that body, it don't take long for them to scatter the bones everywhere and, you know, get rid of all the evidence. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, no well said, and I totally agree with you, absolutely. And like I said, uh, they're, they're, um, it kind of goes along with, the research in general, you know, always, for me personally, I always try to rule out Sasquatch, 
you know, ruling everything else before you rule in Sasquatch, unless it's it's really freaking obvious to me. I mean, really obvious, and that's just to me. Yeah. That's just my personal uh, research and experiences. Unless it's really obvious to me, I try. I mean, even then, I try to rule in everything else before I rule in Sasquatch. Uh, you know, so, but uh, so this brings me to the question of of Sasquatch protocol. I mean, you've written blogs about this. You've written a lot of stuff about this. Uh, you've got this Bigfoot field guide. I mean. What to you is what compelled you to to write about uh, you know uh, Bigfoot research protocols? Uh, is it important? I mean, do you feel it's important? I do. Uh, I'm I'm curious as to your opinion. You've always obviously written about it. Uh, how important is Bigfoot protocols when it comes to this research? Well, to me, it's uh, it's really important for protocols. Uh, you know. I see all the time people get on there and they're like, oh, I took this picture, you know, it's a Bigfoot. And uh, it's like, okay, so where is your uh, comparison photo, you know, and all this? And they're like, well, I know it's a Bigfoot. I don't need nothing to prove to you that it's a Bigfoot. And it's like, well, you know, that's just it. You put this picture out there on the Internet and you expect everybody to believe that it's a Bigfoot, but you don't want to you know, back up what you're saying. So uh, I, I've I've had a lot of people do that, and like I said earlier, I've been called an arrogant a-hole because how dare I ask for this other corresponding evidence. Uh, but I started thinking, you know, the MABRC, we've, we've had these protocols and procedures in place pretty much from the start of when we began. And uh, it gives... New researchers and old researchers both a uh, a starting point, and uh, you know we even have protocols in place what to do if somebody calls us and says, "Hey, I got a body here," you know, mm-hmm. uh, what parts? And you know the the no kill folks would probably jump up and down screaming, but you know we have protocols in place on what part body parts to cut off. Before we, uh, you know, before we do anything, uh, right? Well, you're talking reality here. You're talking reality here. You're not talking about going out and necessarily shooting one, but you're talking reality. I mean, you come across a body, or happen upon a body, or whatever. How you come across a body, you're talking reality and, and procedures for those that are serious about it. You know, uh, which I, I guarantee that those that say that. You know, if some of your average layman no idea what Bigfoot was came across a body, you know, they may be thinking in their head. Well, they'll probably be scared out of their minds, but they may be thinking in the back of their mind. You know, uh, how I need to take something. You know, and, and uh, procedures like you laid out, you know, you have laid out are, are pretty interesting. Yeah, you know, uh, as gross as it sounds, you know, uh, our protocols say take one finger, take one toe. Uh, you know, if you can take the head, take the head. And, you know, we're we're talking parts of a body that we can actually go and uh, prove that, you know, what we're saying we found, we actually found. Uh, Well, that makes sense, though, to have that. I mean, that's what we hope to have happen, right? The best-case scenario is that we run across a recently deceased Bigfoot and – and can harvest uh, what we need 
in terms of DNA and, and physical evidence that's going to be compelling to the scientific community. You know, there's it's not that there aren't plenty of of uh, anecdotal stories and and audio recordings of stuff that you know there's there's lots of that stuff footprints and and sightings. It's, it's because of the nature of what we're looking for, and it it's going to take a physical specimen, you know, alive or dead, or it's going to or and if it's dead, it's either somebody shot one, somebody hit it with their truck, you know, it's accidental death, or or because there are people out there that is, whose intention is to to shoot one and and prove they exist that way, and that's not my approach, but but that doesn't stop those other people from from having that approach and and possibly being successful. Um, it hasn't happened that we can prove to date, obviously, and if it was easy, it would have been done. So people can be out there saying, you know, we're hunting Bigfoot with a gun, good luck. I mean, that's, that's your approach. Yeah. You're entitled to, to approach that way, but if it was easy to do, it would have been done. So uh, yeah. it's not any, you know, that, it's funny that people that, that say, well, we're going we're gonna to shoot one, we're going to prove they exist. Good luck. Your your approach is is uh, is not an approach that I am a, I and my groups that I participate in are are utilizing. But you're entitled to do that. And it's again, it's if it was easy to do, it you would it would be done already. So it's going to take time either way. It's going to be a um, if somebody is out there with the intention of shooting one. Um, it's going to be a chance encounter, I believe, that they, you know, where they get lucky enough to, to shoot. Because I'm pretty sure that Bigfoot doesn't want to be shot, um, and is smarter than the other animals out there in the woods that that do get shot with frequency. Yeah, you know, the the Bigfoot have sit and seen deer hunters in the woods and seen these sticks where a puff of smoke comes out and the deer drops over dead. You know, they know. To, to avoid us because we got these sticks that make deer drop dead. And, uh, you know, as far as, uh, as far as trying to hunt one, you know, anybody that has actually went and, uh, hunted deer knows that after you shoot the deer, you know, some of them can run three or four miles before they drop. And a lot of times you don't even find them after they do drop. And that can be, you know, basically what can be said about Bigfoot. You may be able to shoot one, but how far is he going to run? You know, where is he going to hide? Uh, right, unless you drop you know, one with one shot right in front of you. Yeah. 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 We we actually had a gentleman uh, near us that had walked around the corner of his house because he heard something moving around out there and thought it was a bear and come face-to-face with a Bigfoot. And emptied uh, ten twenty-two long rifle rounds right into his chest, basically. And uh, the Bigfoot looked at him and turned around, and took off running up the trail. Uh, you know how big a bullet is necessary to, you know, drop a Bigfoot. Just like people talk about, well, you know, tranquilize them. Well, how much tranquilizer is it going to take to, you know, drop a Bigfoot? 
Right. So yeah, you're either talking about your you the you risk, run the risk of either killing one if your intention is not to kill one, or not not tranquilizing them enough and they get away, or you just piss them off and they come back and and yeah, basically you can make suicide without thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's a chance that you yeah. I guess if I was going to utilize the tranquilizer approach, I'd I'd over tranquilize I'd risk over tranquilizing rather than than <laughs> under tranquilizing. But then the conversation we've had this you know I I think anybody who's been in Bigfoot for any length of time is like well what about the tranquilizing thing you know if you go out and and uh, the thing is is that there's enough stories of of them not being traveling by themselves. So if you tranquilize you know if you don't in, in your your story where you see a multiple of them going and you, you are out there to tranquilize a Bigfoot or shoot a Bigfoot for that matter, and uh, you're, you're, you ha- you're successful for, with the first one. And there's another Bigfoot or two or three nearby. Um, what is, what is going to be their reaction to your shooting one of their family members? And that's and that's not that you know it's it's uh um, not that that approach is not something that people can try and and uh, uh wouldn't if somebody was successful at it uh it would certainly could could uh answer the question that we're all looking to to get to the bottom of but whether or not um it's it's uh it's not an approach that I and and there's you, you know there's risk with that so that's kind of the the risk reward ratio thing if you're 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 going to go out and and yield the specimen live or dead by by tranquilizing or or um, sh- shooting one killing a, a specimen you got to you have to weigh the the other side of that is what the chances are that that. Uh, what the response is going to be, because again, we don't know how they they travel. Is you know, is are they traveling in groups? Are they traveling alone? Uh, and what what kind of response you're going to get by by harming one of their family members? So yeah. And you know, uh, the the thing is, they're they're an animal just like any other, and of course, the most dangerous uh thing on earth is a mother when it comes to her children, you know, so um, you get too close to and you drop one of the kids, you know, how's the mother gonna react, you know? She'll probably go and rip you in pieces, you know, so Exactly. Yeah. I mean that's one of the most dangerous things is if when we're out in the woods is finding a you know, running across a mother bear and that's we know what the results of that can be, even if you're not threatening um, her cubs or or the mother. So, yeah. So that brings so, up a question, uh, DW. Ahead, what, what what are we, in your opinion, DW? What are we dealing with, in your opinion, with your years of, uh, pardon me, uh, you know, of experience and and whatnot? I mean, have you gathered a, a formula of an opinion as to what we're dealing with. I mean, do you lean one way or another? And I'm not talking, you know, uh, the woo route. I'm talking about, you know, flesh and blood, because I know that's what you are, as yeah. I am. Um, 
what, in your honest opinion, and I'm sure you would agree that you could be wrong, as I could be wrong, I have my opinions, but what, in yeah. your opinion, what are we dealing with? We're dealing with a big screaming monkey. <laughs> uh, you know, and it just so happens that the monkey is smart enough to, to know to stay away from humans. Uh, you know, I don't think it's super smart, but I think it's smart enough to know that it has to stay away from us because we are dangerous to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the ones that we do have encounters, they're just like us. They make mistakes. You know, they make a wrong decision and, you know, walk into a clearing and there you are and it's like, whoops, you know, there's a sighting, but then they book book it out of the area. So, you know, we got basically a, a smart animal, and I put its brain brain power on level with, uh, you know, a lowland gorilla. They can mm-hmm. sit there and they can sit there and uh, hide in the bushes, just feet away from you, and you never know they were there. But but so. you play devil's advocate that you know those, those gorillas have been discovered. So would that put Sasquatch, you know, in a higher, you know, higher degree of intelligible, you know, intelligent? I mean, make it a little bit more intelligent, you know, intelligent uh, than than a lowland gorilla or any, uh, you know, non-human primate. I mean, do you think? Uh, I mean, obviously, here here's my my opinion. Uh, they can't build fire. Um, I don't think they're a caveman. I don't think they're, you know, I don't believe that because I, I've been out in the woods enough and I've been around. And truly, that means nothing. I'm not arguing the point, but I don't think they can do that. I think that uh, they're intelligent to a certain degree, non-intelligent of a human, but they're intelligent. But I do think that they're, they are possibly more intelligent than any um, non-human primate that has been discovered yet. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would agree with you on that. Uh, you know, they are apparently smarter than the, the lowland gorilla because, you know, the the, the lowland gorilla was proven to be uh, in existence, but you know, for for several hundred years before they actually brought the bodies back from Africa, uh, you know, all they had was just stories from the locals that these things existed, and uh, you know, we don't have, yeah, you know, the United States has been here for two hundred and some odd years. But, uh, you know, we have all this, these stories from the Native Americans mm-hmm. uh, saying that these things were around. So, you know, I kind of look at it the same way as it was with the lowland gorillas. You know, it, it took all these expeditions going into the wilderness, and basically back then they shot anything that they come across <laughs> and brought it back, you know. Uh, no, I, we don't have I, that luxury anymore, that. you know. So. Right. Right. No, I'm sorry. I, I laughed at that, and maybe I shouldn't have laughed at that. But it, 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 the point being is so true. Yeah. That you know, something is done here stateside where you just laugh at everything because you can't. It's illegal, and it's actually immoral because you could shoot a human, and uh, it's just not going to happen. But you brought such a great point, uh, DW, in the fact that these were funded, and you brought this up before. You brought this, this particular subject up before, and I've read many of your blogs, whereas, you know, this was a funded to find the lowland gorilla and many of the other species that have been found subsequently. Uh, this was a funded expedition where 
really, I mean, money was not really an option. I mean, it wasn't really a big thing. They had the gear, uh, they had the time, and they had the money. Uh, whereas yeah. with different research, truly, it's uh, you're, you're talking about individuals who may get funded, but not scientifically funded, but may get funded by groups, organizations, or people, uh, and they, in, in you know, nine times out of ten, spend their own money. This isn't yeah. a funded thing, and they don't have the right equipment, and it's it's for a short period of time. We're not talking about going out to Africa to discover something. Um, here's a year. Here's the funds. Uh, good luck. We're talking about North America, continental North America, uh, and uh, you really have no money. You don't really have the right equipment, per se, and time is a factor. It, 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 that's why I, I think truly Sasquatch has not been – um, well, taken seriously and also not been discovered or proven to exist. Yeah, you know, uh, if if we had a uh, scientific organization that said, you know, here, here's $100,000, you know, y'all spend six months out there, you know, this fund your food and your equipment and all that, then, you know, we may be able to bring in, you know, bring in the evidence that needs to prove that these things exist. But, uh, you know, I really just don't see that happening because we've got so many other things going on that, frankly, nobody cares if Bigfoot actually does get uh, discovered. Uh, Kind of a case in point. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, we we got the uh, the Native Americans protesting the uh, pipeline up here in the Dakotas, right? You know, uh, if if Bigfoot was actually proven to exist, you know, would the government be willing to set aside sanctuaries for him? Uh, you know, how would they react to the fact that, hey, we've got a creature living in the woods, you know, and we can't cut no more of this freaking lumber, you know, to use to build houses and, you know, make toilet paper and writing paper mm-hmm. and everything else that we need. Uh, you know, I, I really just don't think the government really wants to be burdened with the fact that Bigfoot's proven to exist. So mm-hmm. you'll see a lot of funding not come down to actually go out and look for this. Right. Well, you bring so you bring up an interesting point, and i got to ask you this. I have my opinion uh, as does Gunner and many of our, obviously many of our uh, listening audience, but since we we're talking about government, and this has been talked about um, for, for quite a few years now, and it's gained ground, and, and whether there's any validity to it or not, what were your thoughts on the government actually knowing that this species exists and is trying to hide the fact? I mean, do you think there's a conspiracy there, or do you think there is no conspiracy there? Uh, what's your thoughts on that? Well, I don't think there's really a conspiracy the way everybody wants to think there's a conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm sure that there's been enough encounters on military bases uh back in the back areas where the woods are real thick. Uh, You know, I'm sure the government knows about it. I mean, 
I'm pretty sure the the government knows about aliens, you know. Uh, but it goes back to we have millions of people going to these national parks and spending money, and you know it's it's a big money making machine. And now you're going to come out and say, oh, there's Bigfoot in those woods, and a lot of people are going to be like, screw that, I ain't going in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I think. I think they are. Uh, they probably got the proof. It's just like for aliens and all the other secret stuff that we'll never know about. You know, it, it's not going to come out until actually somebody throws one on a slab in front of national TV that the government will say, "Yeah, you know, they exist." Right. So. Well, um, you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, I believe that's. You know, uh, you know, I, I, I am a part of the Olympic Project, and I work with the Tillman Group. Uh, well, I'm part of the Tillman Group. You know, I mean, and here's my thing. I'm not out to kill one. I, I know they exist. There's no doubt in my mind they exist. They're, yeah. they're there. Uh, Sackwatch is there. There's no doubt in my mind. I'm out there to kill one. I am more there for the day of discovery, um, and that's how the Olympic Project does it. We're there for the day of discovery, if there is a day of discovery. Uh, I don't know that there will be. But I'm hoping so, personally. And some people will take offense at it, but I'm hoping for a day of discovery. I think it's needed, yeah. personally. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not a person that goes out and attacks the pro-kill side of things where they're out there actively trying to pro-kill or kill a Sasquatch. Um, I think it's a long shot. I think it's almost, uh, pretty much I think it's impossible in a lot of ways. Could it happen? Yes. Um, but I, I don't actively engage in attacking those that are pro-kill. Um, you know, it's just not my thing. It's it, it, it's kind of pointless. Um, but could they possibly bring something in? Maybe. I think the better shot is where somebody just lucky, you know, or maybe not lucky, to hit one on the road or be out hunting and shoot one and there's a body. Um, I think that's where that day discovery may happen. It's not about uh, cheap. All these researchers, or supposed researchers, and people involved in the subject, the enthusiasts and whatnot, I think they're they're really thinking they could be the one, you know. Which is, you know, it's like going to the Prices Right and playing Plinko or something. It's it's like, come on, really? Or playing, you know, the lottery? No, you're not the one. I don't ever. I never thought getting into this, I would be the one. I always thought, how cool it is to be involved in this subject. And be at be at the forefront of this discovery. I mean, where do you place yourself personally, DW? Um, say 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 um, Sasquatch is discovered tomorrow. Say it's proven to exist. Where do you place yourself in this discovery? Are you just happy to be involved? Uh, I I personally think that you've done a lot for for the subject uh, and uh, whatnot. But where do you place yourself personally? Well, you know if. Uh... If a person just new to the the research comes in and you know makes the discovery and blows it wide open, uh, you know it just validates everything that I've been through. Uh, yeah. You know I feel validated. Uh, you know, and the thing is, most people that I've had to have fallings out with because you know they gave me crappy evidence and then got butt hurt because I said. You know, it wasn't Bigfoot related. Uh, it just gives me validation that 
you know, hey, I've seen these things, I knew they existed, you know, and this is what I brought to the table. I'm glad that it's been discovered. Uh, you know, I'd just be just be happy for it to happen. I don't care who it is that brings it in. <laughs> you know, if uh, yeah. if Matthew Johnson brought one in, you know, I'd be happy for him. You know, I'd be slapping him on the back, but I'd also be saying, did it come out of a portal? You know, I mean. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I didn't mean all that. You know what? Honest, that struck honest me funny. <laughs> but, you know, just that that's that's my uh that's my take on it is you know, I just be glad that it goes and mm. uh validates us. Well, yeah. Fantastic answer. I, I, I ain't gonna complain with that answer, uh and uh we're on the same ship there. Uh it, if it was you know, I would love I don't need validation, I'm sure you don't either, but wouldn't that be cool? Um to be fun, and also for the species, uh, I think it's important personally. But you know, I could be wrong, and I can I can live with that. But uh, that's a great answer, and I appreciate that answer. <laughs> and uh, I think we're on the same plane, uh, Gunner. Um, you know, we're we're closing down here, man. Uh, we got a few minutes. Uh, what's going on? Hey, I've been I've been hey. um, active in the chat room. I'm sorry, I was I was listening intently though, but. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, DW for joining us tonight here on Monster X Radio, and uh, it, I wish you good luck in, in your endeavors in the field. I I appreciate uh, folks that are out there actually um, researching from more than an armchair that are out there researching and putting boots on the ground and and uh, the, all the time that you spend. And and I, I have a great appreciation for your approach to being uh, skeptical of the evidence, um, even when uh, you yourself, you know, have you you have no doubt of their existence, and your your group's uh, intent is to prove their existence. Uh, I uh, I uh, would like to uh, thank Mr. Corson for joining us from Southern Cali- sunny Southern California, mind you, and uh, uh, have a great week. We're uh, we will be back next week. And uh, we will be speaking with Seth Breedlove and Lyle Blackburn uh, about uh, Seth's um, recent uh, continuation on on the uh, Small Town Monsters series. They did one on um, the Boggy Creek Monster, and of course, Lyle is is an expert in that area as well. So, uh, as uh, we approach Christmas, I want to remind folks that our sponsor, Sasquatch Coffee, has great gift baskets for sale. And for the month of December, we have extended our special offer of when you buy two ceramic Sasquatch Coffee mugs, you get a free pound of Sasquatch Coffee of your choice. So get into www.squatchcoffee.com and get yourself some Squatch Coffee. Again, thanks, everybody, for for joining us right now, and uh, we will be back next Sunday. Until then, everybody have a great week, and we will talk to you then. Thanks. Mm